Amen. All right. Well, hey, how many guys ever did something? Let's be honest here. We're Christians, right, Ron? Right? We've got to be honest. But how many guys ever did something, right? And as soon as you did it, man, instantly, it's like, oh, why? Why did I do that? You know what I'm saying? It's like you were driving, you were hungry. Next thing you know, you pulled into KFC or Popeyes or Canes. Or, oh, come on, right? Right? You guys ain't getting it. Okay. Uh, but, you know, something like that. But, and again, for those of you who aren't getting it, you, you not understand what I'm talking about. Okay, watch this. This is actually true. Uh, watch what this little boy did when he, li- he refused to listen to his mom's warning. Watch this. That it's cocoa powder is not the same thing as chocolate. Watch this. The child will not stop insisting on tasting this. I keep telling him it's going to be gross, but he does not want to listen. So I'm going to let him find out for himself. Should have listened to mom, man. Mom knows what she's talking about, all right? But how many guys would say that little boy, it's obvious, uh, he regretted instantly his decision as soon as that spoon went in his mouth. You know what I'm saying? Why didn't I listen to mom, right? Okay. But folks, believe it or not, I think it's a great analogy. Unfortunately, what the bulk of our planet is doing today, right? They're doing the exact same thing when we lovingly share not just mom's wisdom, we share God's wisdom that you better get saved. You better get saved right now. You don't want to be left behind through after the church, okay? And yet when we tell them that, what do they do? They scoff. Yeah, no big deal. And they, they put that spoon in their mouth. And guess what? They're going to find out the hard way instantly. That was the worst, most regrettable thing I could have ever done. Why didn't I get saved today? Because this is not a game. The seven-year tribulation is not a joke. And folks, the Bible's very clear. The church leaves prior to that instantaneously. It can happen today. And right after that, bang, the worst time in the history of mankind will be unleashed on this planet for seven years nonstop. God's wrath will be poured out. You don't want to be here, okay? And so, therefore, to help these people who are in danger of being left behind, we're going to continue in our study called, Are You Ready for the Rapture? And again, this is just one of the studies. I love them because it's just like, you know, where the rubber meets the road, right? We can have all different kinds of studies. You and I could disagree on all kinds of different things, but man... Uh, you know, whatever you do, don't get eternity wrong, right? Don't miss out on the rapture. Make sure you're truly born again, that you're a real Christian, not a fake one. And so that if the rapture were to happen today, and it could, you're going up, you're not gonna be left behind and put in that time frame, the seven-year tribulation. Now, so far, we've seen five things about the rapture to help people get ready for it. And that was the basis of the rapture, the importance of the rapture, the purpose of the rapture, the reward of the rapture, and last time was the timing of the rapture. That's the big question, isn't it? When's it gonna happen, right? Now, the Bible's very clear. We don't know exactly when, okay? But we know that it can, uh, when it's getting close, okay? Uh, and then what we see is that even though the Bible doesn't tell us the exact hour, the exact day or the hour, I'm convinced the scripture tells us that the church has to leave prior to the seven-year tribulation, right? That's the win point, okay? And we saw that with the evidence of the unknown hour. You don't know. I don't care how many math degrees you got. I don't care how many calculators you own. I don't care if you got this secret vision of that and some Jewish thing and thing and that, and I got this thing. I don't care. Nobody knows, right? 
And listen, not just the unknown hour, but the pre-tribusition that the church leaves prior to the seven-year tribulation is the only one that maintains that biblical truth that you don't know. Why? Because all the other positions put you in the seven-year tribulation. As we saw, once you're in the seven-year tribulation, you can calculate the rapture. But you're not supposed to calculate it because it's unknown which means their positions are wrong. Then we saw the rapture must happen before the seven-year tribulation with the absence of the church. We saw that with the outline of Revelation itself as well as the omission of the word church itself, right? I mean, you think common sense that if if the church is going to be mentioned uh, in the seven-year tribulation, and there's a lot of material about that, uh, and especially when we see in chapters one through three, dealing with what was and what is the church, chapters two and three, where God uses in Revelation the word church 19 times, then you would think if we're going to be in that time frame, he's going to use the word church again, right? Well, what'd we find? None. The reason why the word church is gone is because the church is gone during that time frame. Total consistency. And once again, it happens to fit, shocker, the pre-trib position. But I'm still preaching on it, Pastor Bobby, so guess what? And you're right, Pastor Bobby. That's right. Thanks for the teamwork. In case you're wondering, that's all that he and I do each week, practice these voices. Right. Yeah, if you believe that, you ain't going to the Brazilian steakhouse in the gym. But anyway, that's right. Uh, anyway, but the third uh, way we know the rapture has to happen prior to the seven-year tribulation is, believe it or not, the location of the church. Okay? Now, this is where we left off last time with the cliffhanger, right? And if you recall... And, and basically, the other positions, mid-trib, pre-rap, post-trib, right? Halfway point, three-quarters, all the way to the end. Uh, pre-trib says, no, you're not in any of it. But you look at those other positions, and you ask those people the question, well, where's the church? And they say, ah, ha, 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 it's simple. The church is in the seven-year tribulation. And they go, really? And then so for supposed proof, they bring up this word saint, right? Saint, and they say, well, since we see the word saint, mention in passages that deal with the seven-year tribulation, that time frame, then that means the church must be in the seven-year tribulation. Is that true? Not even close. That's a total misconception, and dare I say, misapplication of the Scripture. But as always, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God. So open your Bibles to Revelation 13. Let's take a look at one of those passages. They say, oh, see, right here, that's the church. We're in the seven-year tribulation, right? And uh, Revelation 13, verse 2 through 7, speaking of the Antichrist, and what is he allowed to do during that time frame? Revelation 13, if you find Revelation 12, what do you do? Hang it right. Stall enough time there, we're getting there. Revelation 13, verse 2 through 7. Let's go ahead and stand as we read God's holy word. Here's what he says. The beast, or Antichrist, I saw, John said, resembled a leopard, but he had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon, defined in Revelation 12 as Satan, right? Satan gave the beast, or Antichrist, his power and his throne and great authority. And one of the heads of the beast seemed to have this fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. And the whole world was astonished and followed the beast. And in fact, men worshiped the dragon or Satan because they had given, he had given authority to the beast. And they, they, they also worshiped the beast and said, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? Well, the beast or the Antichrist was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for how long? 42 months in the seven-year tribulation. And he opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. And here it is. He was given power to make war against the who? Saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. You may be seated 
if you can't, right? But uh, it says right here, folks, we just read it with our own eyes. Uh, and this is in the seven-year tribulation. The Antichrist was given power to conquer the saints. And that's got to be the church. That means we're in the seven-year tribulation. Oh, no, not at all. But, but there's other passages in the seven-year tribulation that mentions this word. Let me just give you a couple more. Revelation 13, 10. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity, he will go. If anyone is to be killed, with the sword, with the sword, he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Uh-oh. Oh, uh, Revelation 17, 6. One world religion harlot says this. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the who? Saints. Uh-oh. The blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. Well, folks, there it is. Once again, we're doomed. The one world religion harlot. You're clearly in the seven-year tribulation. They were drunk with the blood of the saints. It's got to be the church. That means we're in the seven-year tribulation. Ah! No. Not even close, folks. Uh, in fact, you just need to do your homework. Now, Jim is absolutely hilarious and talk about the sovereignty of God, why you're here today, because this was actually in my notes. God knew you were going to be here. Once again, a wonderful plug for Jim Sundling, all your real estate needs. But Jim knows this rule. There's three important, the most three important words in real estate are location, location, location. That's right, Jim Sundling, for all your real estate needs. That's right, dude. All right. And that's funny, you showed up when I was giving this analogy. Uh, three most important words, everybody knows this, location, 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 right? Well, believe it or not, it's the same thing when it comes to proper biblical interpretation. And the three most important words in proper biblical interpretation, including who are these saints, is context, 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 right? It's the same thing. Context determines the meaning of a word, okay? And when you do the homework and look at context, you're gonna see, Just because you see the word saint doesn't mean it's referring to you and I, the church. Context determines the meaning. And and you do the study and you're going to see there's Old Testament saints. There's New Testament saints, you and I today. There's tribulation saints, those who get saved after the rapture. And that's who those passages are talking about. We'll see that in a second. And there's even a fourth category, millennial saints, right? Now, again, I'm not just making this up because I'm a pre-tribber and you just try to escape this horrible news. No, what the Bible says, right? Let's take a look at the different saints. Context determines who the audience is with this word. There's Old Testament saints, Psalm 34, 9. Fear the Lord, you his saints, right? See, choose right there. Obviously, who you're speaking about. Old Testament saints. For those who fear him lack nothing. Then again, there's you and I today, New Testament saints, Romans 15, 25, the church. Now, however, however, Paul says, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints. So that's you and I right now, the church. But there's people who get saved during the seven-year tribulation, the tribulation saints. Revelation 13, 7, that's who he's talking about. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And there's a fourth category. Context determines the meaning. That's in the millennium. Revelation 29, and they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city and fire came down from heaven and devoured him. Okay, so as you can see, just because you see the word saint doesn't mean it's applying and applicable to the church. There's all kinds of saints. It's just the Greek word hagias. It means holy ones. That's all it means. But how are you going to know who it is? It's the context in which it's placed in, okay? In fact, let me give you an, an example, right? And, and this isn't some like, you know, again, some tricky, sneaky Bible technique Pastor Billy's using because he's resisting the news that... We use this all the time in language. Last time I checked, the Bible's written in a language, right? So it's just common sense interpretation tools, right? Let me give you, uh, for instance, the word cool, Let's say that. Cool. Well, I actually asked you to say that, but when, you know, I guess that'll work. But anyway, cool, right? Uh, I could use the word cool 
three totally different ways, spelled the exact same way, but the context gives a complete different meaning, right? Let me give you an example, okay? And this is how you're supposed to interpret the scripture or any document for that matter, right? Okay, so I can, use a, I can say, hey, wow, that outfit you have on is cool, right? Or I could say something like this. Hey, is everything okay? Your attitude towards me is kind of cool, right? Say, but again, it's spelled the same way. Or I could say this. Oh, man, the weather outside is cool. Obviously not here in Vegas, but in some other part of the world. Okay, but you can see what? It's the exact same word, C-O-O-L, spelled the exact same way every single time, and all three times completely different meaning. Why? It's common sense, folks. It's context, context, context determines the meaning of a word. We do this all the time. This is not some convenient manipulation of the scripture. And I'm telling you, it's the same thing when it comes to this word saint. You have to deal with the context. Who is it talking about? So let's take a look. Revelation 13, we talked about the Antichrist. He's going to conquer the saints. Who is he talking about? Well, let's narrow it down. Contextually, biblically, number one, it can't be Old Testament saints, right? Because that was in the past, right? That's common sense. It can't be the millennial saints because that's, even more in the future, after the seven-year tribulation, I would say it cannot be the church age saint. We've already seen strong evidence, and we're just getting started, that the church left prior to the seven-year tribulation, and we're not appointed unto that time frame. Okay, and we still, again, got a lot more evidence to go. So that means, biblically, that's only one other option. Who are the saints that he's talking about in the seven-year tribulation? It's the people who, the tribulation saints is what they're called, those who get saved after the rapture, in the seven-year tribulation, and frankly, made the biggest mistake of their life. Now, praise God, you got saved. But man, you should have got saved today and void the whole thing. Because the scripture says, yeah, praise God, you got saved, but guess what? Uh, you're going to be slaughtered like flies, and they're going to chop your head off. So again, you should get saved today, right? Uh, but here, let me give you a couple of those examples. What's going to happen to those people that get saved in? Okay, first of all, we know the scripture says that they can get saved. Some people say, nobody can get saved in the seven-year tribulation. Uh, what Bible are you reading? There's at least three different examples of God's mercy going out in the seven-year tribulation. Here's one of them, the 144,000 male Jewish evangelists, right? Revelation 7, 4 through 9. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, what? 144,000 from all tribes of Israel. Well, there it is. That's Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> That's what they say. It's like, are you kidding me? First of all, they said that early on before they reached 144,000. And then they had to, I got new light, new revelation. And then now it's only the spiritual ones that are the 144,000. But then all you got to ask them is this, if you understand that those people go like, uh, all, from all the tribes of Israel, go up to the Jehovah's Witness guy and say, excuse me, what tribe are you from? Oh, and it says there that they're only male. So sorry for you, female Jehovah's Witnesses, you're toast, right? Oh, and it says, and no lie or deceit was found in their mouth. And so Mr. Jehovah's Witness, have you ever told a lie? Uh, thank you very much. In fact, they're believing a lie and propagating a lie, so it can't be them, but whatever. Okay, but anyway, so there's evangelists. These are actual male Jewish evangelists in the seven-year tribulation, and you know, if you read the context, which we are, they're out there, and they reap a harvest. A lot of people get saved from their efforts, and that's what we see here. After this, I looked at what? Before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne in front of the lamb. They were wearing white robes were holding palm branches in their hands. So a lot of people are going to get saved, right? That's just one option. Number two is the two witnesses, right? Revelation eleven three, and I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. And just to make sure the whole planet got it, God does this in Revelation fourteen six. Then I saw another angel flying in midair and he had the what? eternal gospel to proclaim to who? 
those who live on earth to how many? Everybody. You're going to have an opportunity to every nation, tribe, language, and people, okay, is what we see there uh, clearly in the scripture, okay? These people, again, uh, it's good that the gospel goes out, but guess what? You're going to pay a price for it. You're going to be slaughtered like flies, right? And this is what we see here, Revelation 6. This is just in the first half. Watch what happens to these people. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar of souls those who've been slain. Now, if you ever get our study on the seals, a panoramic view of the first half of the seven-year tribulation, uh, if you ever get that study, man, we bust into the Greek on that one big time. Uh, and, and that is a, a Greek word, I believe, svadzo, and it literally means to just butcher, fillet. Just, it's very brutalistic. It's, it's not just like, oh, hey, he died. No, it's, it's, just, it's a bad scene. You don't want to be there. Right? And they had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Very macabre scenario. And not only that, apparently uh, decapitation is going to come back to the planet during that time frame. Revelation 20, verse 4, and I saw the souls of those who've been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads, or on their hands, okay? And I don't know about you, but it's such a great comfort to know uh, uh, that uh, people beheading people who believe in God, specifically Jesus Christ, that, that there's no signs of that coming back on the planet. Rhymes with the Muslim community. And folks, it happens here on a massive scale, even in the United States of America, but the news is covering it up. That's part of their belief system, Right? And if you doubt that, get our study, Islam, religion of war or peace? And the answer does not run with peace, right? Uh, but, but again, that's preparation for what? It's going to happen on a massive scale in the seven-year tribulation. But, but the lesson for the tribulation saints is what? Why did you procrastinate? Why You weren't ready for the rapture. Now, I'm glad you got saved. Praise God for that. At least you're not going to go to hell. But now you're on hell on earth, and you're going to be slaughtered like flies. Why? And you hear people say that all the time. Well, I... Christians, a bunch of wackos, but I tell you what, if Chris is right and if the rapture happens, I tell you what, man, I'll get saved right then and there. Are you kidding me? You won't get saved now when it's relatively easy with hardly any persecution, at least currently, to become a Christian. But you mean literally when your head's on the chopping block, you're going to turn to Christ? Come on, get saved now. Get saved now. Don't be like that kid. Listen to mom, listen to God, right? And do the right thing, okay? But with all that said, With all that said, not only, folks, do we not see the church, let alone the word church mentioned in the seven-year tribulation, not only do we see that the word saint is not applying to the church in the seven-year tribulation, in the book of Revelation, we do see, we do see the location of the church. And can anybody guess where it's at? It ain't on earth. That's right, Pastor Bobby. It's in heaven. I want to give you just a couple proofs of that, right? And the first proof is this, the phrase, come up here, right? And gee, I wonder where here is, right? Let's take a look at the scripture, right? And for those you wondering, it's not Walmart, okay? It rhymes with heaven, right? So here we go. Revelation 4, verse 1, that's where the phrase appears. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in Walmart. No, I'm sorry, where'd it say? A door open in heaven. You don't have to wonder what he's talking about. And, and, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me uh, like a trumpet said, what? Come up here, not stay down there. Come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this, okay? And again, so here's what we see, this phrase here, and I don't think it's by chance, uh, come up here. You got to put this in the context. That is Revelation 4, verse 1. 
right? Now, let's go back to the context. What do we see in the first three chapters? He saw that which was, Revelation 1, that which is now, which is the church. And when God wants to speak of the church, he used the word church 19 times, right? And then when he's done talking to the church and you don't see the word church mentioned at all, what's the very next thing after he's done with the church? The very next verse. Revelation 4.1, come up here to heaven. What's that? A lot of people, myself convinced, is this is a prophetic revelation of the rapture. That's why it is. That's the timing of that. Again, it's Revel- he's done with the church, Revelation 3. Here comes the very next verse, 4, chapter 1, two chapters before Revelation 6 when the seven-year tribulation begins. And what's he say? Come up here. Perfectly fits the pre-trib scenario. Just let the scripture speak for itself. Okay. Also, this command to come up here is clearly, it's, you don't have to wonder, it's in heaven, number one. Number two, it's a command that's given to the apostle John. Last time I checked, he's a part of the church, okay, as well. Then the phrase come up here just happens to be the exact same phrase used in Revelation 11 with the two witnesses who were killed by the Antichrist, and they literally, physically go up into heaven. It's the exact same phrase. That's not by chance, right? And so, again, there's, well, that's just symbolic, right? No, right? Here's where it's used again, Revelation eleven twelve. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here and they, where's that? Where's it at? Walmart? No, it says it again. And they went up to where? Heaven in the cloud while their enemies looked on, which is wild when you put that in the context, right? Uh, these guys were murdered, Revelation 11 says. God allowed it to happen because uh, God's the one in control. That's another message throughout Revelation. Satan is not a loose cannon on deck. God's in control through and through, through all time. He's, he's on a short leash, man. He only gets to do what God allows him to do for purposes of judgment. He's not the author of sin, but he'll, he'll use anything for purposes uh, of judgment. But anyway, so you see the Antichrist gets to kill them. And the scripture says that they gaze on their bodies around the world for three and a half days. Too bad we don't have any of that technology. Satellite TV, watch it. In fact, it's gone mobile. Before, you had to be glued to your TV. What about that guy? He'll never see that because mobile, tablets, phone, the whole planet could watch those people. It says they're so stinking evil at that time that they literally rejoice of the death of these two righteous preachers, basically. What? They're just trying to tell you about God and to escape this antic. And then you, and it says they sing gifts to everybody during the three days and they're so excited and whatever. But again, I believe they're watching it globally with the current technology we have today, which tells you this passage can happen today in the seven tribulation. We, got, we don't have to wait for technology to get here. But, but I believe that not only are they going to be watching the bodies, but guess what? When God says, come up here, they're going to see that as well. And it's going to freak them out, right? They're going to literally see. And then I can't say that, say the Lord, and we don't know the blinking of an eye, but uh, how many CCT cameras, how many home TV cameras? We've talked about Big Brother in our society today. We're, we're filmed, even in the United States of America, so many times. How many cameras are going to pick up Christians disappearing and whatever and things of that nature? So, but anyway, so that, that's kind of interesting. So again, it's the exact same phrase of a bodily escape into heaven it's not by chance also let me give you another one it just so happens that you see that the scripture says when god wants to speak of the church he does so 19 times revelation 1 through 3 then he's done with the church the very next phrase he says come up here and a door opens up in heaven right the next time you see a door opening up in heaven it's when we come out of heaven with jesus at revelation 19 okay and again i don't think that's by chance And this is what we see here, right? I saw heaven standing open 
And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and makes war. Obviously speaking of Jesus Christ, his second coming. But who comes with him? That's us, folks. The armies of heaven fall on him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Okay, and again, that's clearly speaking of the church. We see that Revelation 19, 7 and 8. His bride has made herself ready, fine linen, bright and clean. Literally, some translations have it as white, uh, was given her to wear. Okay, so the church, again, I don't think the orders by chance. Let the scripture speak for itself. Observe context, context, context. It flows like butter. Just leave it alone. Listen, when God wants to speak of the church, is he afraid to use the word church? No, he uses it 19 times the first three chapters. But when he's done speaking with the church, guess what you don't see in the seven-year tribulation? You don't see the word church, right? But what you see is when he's done with the church, Revelation 3, the very next verse, the next chapter, first verse, he says what? Come up here, right? So the church, heavens opens up and receives the church, Revelation 4, prior to the seven-year tribulation, heaven opens up again, and the church is let back out with Jesus Christ, Revelation 19, the end of the seven-year tribulation. That's the scripture just speaking for itself. I don't know about you, but it perfectly fits the pre-trib position. That's what it is. That's where we get this from. It's not a convenient form of escapism, and you guys are just, you just don't want to deal with that. No. This is what the scripture teaches, okay? It's not by chance. Plus, I'll just add this. If the church really was going to be here during the horrible time of the seven-year tribulation, uh, I don't know about you, but I would expect a different command to be given to us. Instead of come up here, right? Uh, it'd be more like stay down there. Or, hey, good luck in the midst of all that. Or, hey, boy, wait till you guys see what's coming next. You're in a heap of trouble now. Hey, see you in seven years. Have fun trying to survive that one. <laughs> That's not what you see. When God's finished with the church, he says, what? Come up, not stay down. Come up here. We're not mentioned again, and heaven doesn't open again until we come back at the end with Jesus. There's no way that's by chance, folks. That's letting Scripture teach us what it says. But that's just one phrase, okay? The second one that I'm convinced, the church is going up into heaven once the rapture happens, prior to the seven-year tribulation, and that's this phrase. The phrase is 24 elders, right? And uh, it just so happens that the Scripture tells you that um, in Revelation 4, once he says, come up here, then all of a sudden you're introduced to a, another group of people. And they're specifically called 24 elders. And they're always in and only existing in heaven, right? Let's take a look at that group of people and see who in the world we're talking with here. Let me give you just a couple passages. Revelation 4, 4. Again, what was 4, 1? Revelation chapter 1 through 3, church 19 times. The very next verse, he says, come up here. And the next thing you know, you see these, a new, new group of people. I wonder who they are, right? Revelation 4, 4. Three verses later, surrounding the throne were what? 24 other thrones and seated on them were what? 24 elders. And what are they dressed in? White. They're dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Revelation 4, 10 through 11 also mentions them. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worships him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being, right? And that's where a lot of people say, uh, you Christians, uh, you know, teaching that the Bible, you know, gives you crowns or rewards, you know, that's, that's not right because, you know, that, people, get, you know, be boasting, no. Read Revelation 4, right? We're not going to get to heaven. There's five different crowns mentioned in the scripture that you can't earn. We don't earn a way to heaven, but we have the privilege of what's this passage say? What do they do? 
we lay those crowns at the feet of the lamb and he gets all the glory, even the ability to earn a crown. We didn't do it. We're not boasting ourselves. We're not going to get up there, right? Like, like Pastor Bobby, my crown's bigger than your crown. Hey, I got five. Chris only got two. Loser, right? We ain't going to do that. We're going to lay them at the feet of Christ, right? But here's what we have. Revelation 4, it says 24 elders. They're also, in case you want to do even more homework, watch this, not just in Revelation 4, Right, but Revelation 5, Revelation 7, Revelation 11, and Revelation 14, here's my point, in every single occurrence, guess where they're located? In heaven, right? So the 24 elders, this new audience, located always in heaven. So the question is what? Who are the 24 elders, right? Who are the 24 elders? Well, I'm convinced that uh, they're not what some people say. Some people say they're angels, that's what they are. Some people say, no, it's Israel. Some people do a combo effect. They say it's Israel and the church. 12 is Israel. The other 12 is it. I think context, context, context. The scripture speaking what it wants us to speak to us is it's the church. And I want to give you that evidence today. And the first one is the timing. Okay. Now notice the initial introduction again of the timing of this brand new audience in Revelation called the 24 elders. Right. It just happens to be right after what? The, The come up here command. Right? Right after. Do you think it's my chance? I don't think it's my chance. And so again, it tells me scripturally, again, when God's done with the church, he says, come up here prior to Revelation 6 when the events start. And so when you come up here, we go from being known, our identity as the church, ecclesia, a group of called out ones. And that kind of makes sense too, because if you understand what ecclesia means, the word church, it's not a building. Right? As, you, as we know, ek, out of, klesia, group. It's a group of called out ones. We're called out of this world. Well, guess what? We're not in the world. So that's our title for here now. We're the church. But when the church gets to heaven, guess what? You get a new title. We're called the 24 elders. Right? And that's when it happens. So the church, God's done, come up here, and you see the church now called the 24 elders. So there's a timing aspect. The other one, again, is the location. Again, where are these 24 elders located? Every single occurrence you hear them. And see him, it's always in heaven. And one guy puts it this way. He says, listen, are the, are the 24 elders on earth getting ready for the tribulation and sweating bullets? No. They're in heaven worshiping him who sits on the throne in the Lamb. From their first mention in Revelation 4, the 24 elders are in heaven rewarded and enthroned. If the elders represent the church, it's another indication that the church must be raptured to heaven before the judgment begins in Revelation chapter 6, the seven-year tribulation. The only place you find the church in Revelation, okay, listen, from chapter 4 all the way to 18 is in heaven. So we, you know, people say, the church is in the seven-year tribulation. No, what the church actually teaches is the church is in heaven the whole time, okay? We're in heaven as the 24 elders were seated on thrones, dressed in white, crowned with crowns, worshiping the Lamb. Right? which is another evidence that this has to be speaking of the church, and that is the crowns, right? Now, first of all, crowns are never promised to angels Do the study, right? Crowns are never worn by angels Do the study. Yeah, guess what? The Bible says after the rapture, it's not just we go to heaven, but it's what? It's reward time. It's called the Bema Seat Judgment, right? Most people believe that, right? Even prophecy circles. Well, guess what we get rewarded with? What we just talked about, crowns. And what are these guys wearing? Crowns. It's another evidence. Now, again, I'm not saying that God did. 2 Timothy 4 eight. Now there is in store for me what? Crowns of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Listen, and not only to me, but listen to all who have longed for his appearing. 
Did you know you can actually get a crown to have the privilege to lay at least one crown at the feet of Christ if you just long for his appearing? I mean, surely we can all do that, right? Well, you think, first of all, Ron, stop calling me Shirley. Second of all, you look at much of the church today, or at least those professed to be Christians, well, they, they ain't longing for his appearing. Now, I'm not going to get into some competitive thing. You don't say, thus saith the Lord. Pastor Billy said, this is the easy. But I'm going like, man, come on, this has got to be the easiest crown to get. All you got to do is long for his appearing. Anybody can do that. How many so-called Christians, when you start to tell them about Bible prophecy, the blessed hope of the rapture, they not only freak out, but they ostracize you, say you're a wacko, and then they sit there and say, that's doom and gloom. You're trying to ruin my day. You ain't longing for his appearing. You can't even get the easiest one. Now, maybe the reason why you can't get even the easiest one, as we'll see maybe at the end if the rapture hasn't happened, you ain't really saved. Because I don't know how you could sit there and say the news of your wedding day is doom and gloom. Don't bring that up. That's not a good sign. <laughs> and yet that's now commonplace throughout churches today. Hmm. All right. Well, let me give you another one. Uh, speaking of crowns, 1 Peter 5, 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive what? The crown of glory that will never fade away. Okay. And so guess what? It just happens to fit what the scripture teaches. The church when the rapture happens, right, it fits perfect timing. The Bible says that when the rapture happens, we go to heaven, bema seat judgment. It's not a judgment like sin. That's already been taken care of. This is a, a reward time. You get to dish out the crowns, right? We get to lay them at the feet of Christ, right? But it's perfectly fit. So you got Revelation 3, the church, he's done. Revelation 4, 1, come up here. Here's the new identity. And what do they be wearing? Which, again, is what the scripture says. After the rapture, we get what? Crowns. It, it's perfect. There's no mental manipulation going on here. It's, it's just, wow, that sounds like we're going to be in heaven wearing crowns like the Bible promised after the rapture. During the seven-year tribulation back on earth, we're not going to be. Anybody getting that besides me? Right? Now, also, some people say, no, these 24 elders are Israel. Well, we know this can't be Israel simply by the crown issue because the scripture is very clear. Israel does not get rewarded until the end of the seven-year tribulation. And we see that here in Daniel chapter 12, Right? Daniel 12, 1 through 2, at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, Israel, will arise. Revelation 12 says that's exactly what God's going to do. Zechariah 13 says, at the midway point, the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist goes up into the rebuilt Jewish temple. And then after he commits that abomination of desolation, basically saying, I'm God, worship me. The Jewish people aren't going to do that. He desecrated their temple that they just rebuilt. Good thing they're not trying to build it. Yeah, they're trying to build it right now, which will be the temple in the seven-year tribulation. That's how close we are. Right? But he's going to go up in there, and then Zechariah says he's going to hunt down and slaughter two-thirds of the Jewish people. Another Jewish holocaust is coming. Can you believe that? Right? But God's going to what? He's going to sovereignly protect Revelation 12, and here it tells you it's the archangel Michael. He's going to sovereignly protect one-third of the Jewish people. That's Zechariah 13 as well. Right? But he says, so we were dealing with Israel, and he says there will be a time of great distress as has happened uh, not happened from the beginning of nations until then. He's talking about the seven-year tribulation, the final week of Daniel's 70th week prophecy. That's why it's a seven-year tribulation, not 122 or five. It's contextually the final week or seven of Daniel's 70th week prophecy. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Israel doesn't get rewarded with the promises of God 
until the end of the seven-year tribulation when we, the church, come back with Jesus from heaven to set up the millennial kingdom. So these 24 elders already being rewarded with crowns can't be Israel. The timing's off. But guess what happens to fit? The pre-trib scenario. I don't think that's by chance. Let me give you another one. It's the title there. Now notice it was the 24 Pastor Bobbies. No, no, no. It, was, it happened to be of all terms that God chose to describe these entities. What? The 24 elders. It's the Greek word presbyteros. Okay, and guess what it just happens to speak of? The church leadership, right? It's a church term, right? Which gives you a clue. This has got to be this church, right? Let me give you a couple of examples. Titus 1.5. The reason why Paul says to Titus, I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint who, what? Elders, presbyteros, in every town as I directed you. It's church leadership. First Peter 5, 1 through 2. To the elders among you, I appeal, Peter says, as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, serving not as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Also, the word elder presbyteros, if you're not convinced is a church term, that's what the Bible says, it's speaking of church leadership. It's actually where we get the word Presbyterian from that denomination, uh, which again, it's, it's clearly a church word, okay? And also, by the way, this is why nowhere in the Bible do you see angels are ever addressed as elders. It's only dealing with humans. So you can't say the 24 elders are angels again. Uh, it's dealing with the church. Now, the fifth evidence is the number. Uh, it's, it's not just the elder, it's the what? Flip it around. The number. I mean, think about it, right? I, I want inquiring minds want to know. I want to know. Why is it 24? Now, why is it seven years? I always used to ask it. Why is it seven years? Why is it seven years? How come it's not 122? Well, we just saw. It's the final week. Scripture interprets scripture. It's the final week or seven of the 70th week prophecy. 69 have come. There's one seven left. That's why it's seven years. That's why it's not five or 122. That's why. Well, same thing. Why is it 24? Why is it, why is it not 52 guys, right? Or 3,001? Why is it exactly 24? We'll deal with that next week. No, I'm going to tell you. Okay. Uh, uh, and here's, here's what. You've got to go back to the Old Testament, right? Because that's what you're dealing with here. The Levitical priesthood in the Old Testament numbered in the thousands, right? You look, at, especially when it went from the, ta- uh, the tabernacle to when, when David's building, he built the temple through Solomon and his son, uh, right? Uh, this thing was huge, and it was a huge orchestration. But you see that First Chronicles 24. Now, so since all the priests, because there were thousands of them, right, could not worship in the temple at the same time, the priesthood was divided into, read the Bible, 24 groups, right? And, and they would rotate, right, to meet the needs of the priesthood, right? Now, while the nation of Israel was a kingdom of priests, Exodus 19, uh, and only Aaron's sons were allowed to enter God's presence, you had to be of the tribe of Levi, the scripture teaches for the church, guess what? We have what's called the priesthood of the believer, right? I didn't say that God did, right? Here's what we see here, 1 Peter chapter 2, 5 through 9. You also, speaking of the church, like living stones, are built into a spiritual house to be a holy what? Priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you're also a chosen people, at what? He says a second time, royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, church, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And this is why many people say that's why, again, it's another tip-off you're dealing with the church, 
The 24 elders are not indicative of Israel again, but rather they represent the entire New Testament church priesthood. Okay, that's why it's exactly 24. Let me give you a couple more and we'll close. The sixth one is the position, right? Again, let's just break this down. Let's uh, context, context, context. What does this scripture say? Who are these 24 elders, right? Am I just pulling this out, just an isolated text? Repeatedly, you're seeing evidence after evidence. It has to be dealing with the church. How are they positioned, right? So we got the, we know why it's elders. We know why it's exactly 24. But notice how they're positioned. We saw what they're wearing on their heads, crowns, but their position on what? It wasn't a couch, right? It wasn't a, uh, you know, a day bed. It wasn't lazy boy. <gasps> I know what it was. Um, have you ever guys gone to Ikea? And I mean, there's 24 of them. So you're gonna have to get one of those big giant sectionals, right? That you mix and match and put together because you're gonna have to cram them all there. So it was the 24 elders seated on a giant Ikea sectional. That's what it said. <laughs> no. Now, the way some people interpret the scripture, you think that's their logic. But what's it say? There, it, it, nothing's by chance in the scripture. Let God speak to us. What's it say there? 24 elders seated on what? Thrones. Now, can anybody guess, without the help of a granola bar, can you guess what these guys are seated on? It's thrones. And can you guess what the church has promised from Jesus? To sit on a throne. Again, it's another clue. This is back in Revelation 3, man, dealing with the church. He told us this is where we're going to be sitting. Right? And that's what the 24 elders are sitting on, right? Revelation 3, 21, to him who overcomes. Now, who's the overcomer? It's the guy who's surviving through the seven-year tribulation, and he's bought $18,000 worth of lime to discharge of his waste. He's bought 85,000 bags of beans and rice, and he's going to be, he's the ultimate survivor. He bought a Jeep, not just any Jeep, but a four-wheel drive Jeep that he spent $50,000. In fact, in case he gets submerged in water, he's got the muffler pipe over the top. He'll survive. And he got a bug out shut. No! That's what people want to say this means. That's, you got to overcome the torment of the seven-year tribulation. No. Scripture interprets Scripture. Context, context, context. John wrote the book of Revelation under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. John, in the book of John, or First John, he tells you who the overcomer is. The overcomer, and he uses the same word. He's the same author. He says the overcomer is the one who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Who's that? That's a Christian. He's not trying to say you survive. No. So basically, his phrase, to him who overcomes, the overcomer, the Christian, to the Christian, what he promised. I will give, Jesus speaking, I will give the right uh, to sit with me on my what? Throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne as well. Okay? The elders in the church are sitting in the same position. My theory is because they're the same people. That's right. Read, they're the same people. You've been tuning in today. That's great. Okay, let me give you a couple more. The next one is the distinction, right? Now, there's people out there, I don't care what you say. There's no way this is the church because they want the church in the seven-year tribulation. They don't want to hear news that they're in heaven, which is what we're seeing during the seven-year tribulation, right? And it's it's the angels. It's the angels. I'm telling you, it's the angels. Really? All you got to do is pull out one verse. And one verse, I mean, even if you ignored everything we just saw, the first six evidences, Pull out one verse, and you say, there's no way it can be the angels, right? And that's what you see here. In the exact same verse, there's a clear distinction between the two audiences. They're not one and the same. And that's what we see here, Revelation 5.11. Then I looked, and I heard a voice of many what? Angels, numbering how many? Thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand, right? And not only that, what's he say? He says, they encircled the throne, the angels, and they encircled not just the throne, they encircled the living creatures, and they encircled the... Elders, 
So how can you sit there? It's the exact same verse. It's not four chapters later. It's not even four verses later. The exact same verse says angels and elders. They're not the same. They can't be the same. The distinction tells you that. The eighth evidence is the aspect of redemption. The Bible is very clear that Jesus Christ died for pets. I'm going to start a war today with that because a lot of people say, my pet Charlie's in heaven. That's a whole other study. But the scripture says Jesus Christ died, listen, not for angels. Their fate is sealed. When the demons, the one-third of the angels, chose to rebel with Satan, they're doomed. Jesus died for who? Not angelic beings or jelly beans, but human beings. Thank you, Debbie. Prophet Debbie has spoken today. And guess what? It just so happens that the 24 elders get to sing a song, right? And it was the, it was the oldies. They were in there with Chuck Berry, man. They were going to town, all of heaven. Ooh. No, no, there's Elvis. I did it my way. No. The song, they get to sing a new song, and they tell us some of the lyrics. It's kind of cool. And guess what the song was about? It's a song of redemption. And the scripture is clear. Jesus died to redeem or purchase people. Again, they're singing a song of redemption. That's the church, right? Let me give you a couple of evidences of that. Right here, Revelation 5, again, the 24 elders. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seal, speaking to Jesus. They're singing this to Jesus, right? And because you were slain and because your blood, you what? Purchased or redeemed men for God from every tribe and language and people, and nation. And again, Paul talks about that purchasing and redeeming is what Christ has done for us, the church. Galatians 3, 13 through 14, Christ what? Redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He what? Says it again. Redeemed us in order that the blessing uh, given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So why do the elders, the 24 elders, just happen to sing a song not of Elvis or the oldies or, or even current pop music or Britney Spears? Or what, why is it a song specifically of redemption? Because the elders are synonymous with the church who's also been redeemed and experienced redemption through Jesus Christ. Anybody figure that out without any help? Right? It's the same thing. Right? Let me give you just one more. This is really cool. The ninth evidence, the 24 elders have to be the church, is their clothing. Right? The clothing that they're wearing is not by chance, okay? And it clearly said there that they're dressed, they're dressed in what? I'm sure that's by chance. It's another context, context, context. God is making it loud and clear. This is the ninth evidence that you're dealing with the church. Guess who also is dressed in white? Us, the church, right? Let's go back to when we're dealing with the church. When he used the word church 19 times, right? What did he say about us? Revelation 3, 5, he who overcomes, i.e. the Christian, will be like them, be dressed in what? White. And I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. He says it again here, Revelation 3, 18, I counsel you to buy me gold refined in the fire so you can what? Become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve and put on your eyes so that you can see. So that's the church, clearly in the church, 24 elders, guess what they're wearing? Right after three, the next chapter, when we say, come up here, we're in heaven, what, what are they wearing? Same clothes, folks. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. Seated on them were 24 elders. They too were what? Dressed in white and had crowns of gold 
on their heads. And then when heaven opens back up and we come back with Jesus, once again, fits just like peanut butter and jelly, man, perfectly. Here it is. The bride has made herself ready. We're coming back with Jesus at the end of the seven-year tribulation, fine linen, bright and clean. Again, some translations white there and given her to wear. So you wrap all this together, folks. Uh, The church, what's the context here? Let's see if God can tell us where the church is at during the seven-year tribulation, just with this 24-elder issue. We see the church is wearing white garments before the rapture happens, being redeemed in Christ, Revelation chapter 3. Then, come up here, Revelation 4, we get a new title, the 24 elders, were what? Wearing white in heaven. And then we're wearing white again when heaven opens up again, we come back at the end of the seven-year tribulation with Jesus Christ. Last time I checked, that perfectly fits the pre-trib scenario. Am I twisting scripture? Am I doing one? No. Again, it's another proof, folks, that we are not going to be here during that horrible time frame. But let me give you once. Speaking of, let's go back to the tribulation saints. Those the people that get saved after the rapture, they procrastinated, unfortunately. They're going to be in the seven-year tribulation. Did you know the scripture actually draws a distinction between them, not just contextually with the word saint that we saw, but the scripture uses a different type of clothing for them than the church who leaves prior. Let me bring that out to you. It's really cool uh, what's going on here. Whenever you see, watch this, whenever you see those that are martyred in the tribulation, the tribulation saints, they are clothed in white robes that had to be washed before they could stand before the throne. However, there's a second group of people, the New Testament church, present from the very beginning of chapter four that wear white raiment of the priesthood in heaven. In fact, it's the very same raiment worn by the Lord Jesus Christ in the Greek. The martyrs or the tribulation saints are clothed in white robes that stole, you can do the research yourself. I checked it out. I'm going, you've got to be kidding me. Spot on. Stole, S-T-O-L-E, in the Greek, and it's in Revelation 6 and 7. That's the people that get saved, the tribulation saints during that time. They're wearing stole. Watch this. But the church, the 24 elders, are clothed in white linen raiment of the priesthood. It's a, the Greek word hymation. And you only find that in Revelation 3 and 4, which is prior to the seven-year tribulation. You think it's by chance? Even in the clothing, God brings out the distinction. There's those who were blessed with getting saved now and avoid the whole thing, come up here, you get a new identity, 24 elders, heaven opens back up, you come back, get to be part of the millennial kingdom, rule and reign with Christ. There are those that praise God got saved during the seven-year tribulation. Why did you wait? Why didn't you get saved today? And folks, that to me is the point. If you're not saved, you need to get saved. This is not a joke, right? But Lord willing, we're going to take a look at the fourth biblical evidence that the rapture takes place prior to the seven-year tribulation, and that's the promises to the church. I don't know about you, but it's stacking up pretty obvious, letting the scripture speak for itself. God is very emphatic that the church is not going to be here in the seven-year tribulation, right? And did you know that the scripture, on top of that evidence, God makes bold, blanketed promises to us, the church, you will not be in the seven-year tribulation. Did you know that? Well, we're out of time, so we're going to have to deal with that next time. But my point is, cliffhanger, cliffhanger. That's right. Uh, my point is, are you ready for the rapture? Okay, and I, and I say that because I don't know your heart, but God does. You can fool me, but you can't fool God. If you're not saved, you need to get saved right now. The rapture can happen at any moment, and praise God, 
Come up here. You get to be with him in heaven, place beyond your wild streams. You get to come back with Jesus, be a part of the millennial kingdom. You get to rule and reign with him. And after that's over, we get the new heavens and the new earth. It's going to be awesome. But if you're not saved, you're going to be left behind. You say, oh, I'll get saved then when I see those Christians disappear. I'll know it's true. Why do that to yourself? You saw what's going to happen to those people. Get saved today. But I will throw this out there as we close. You say, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm ready. Really? I'm not here to cast a bunch of doubt, but the scripture does say, examine yourselves to see if you're really in the faith. You know why? Because the scripture talks about people who profess to be Christians, but you didn't fool God. I don't care. He, you just gave him a bunch of lip service. Now, I didn't say that. Jesus did right here. Watch this. Matthew 7, 22 through 23. Many will say to me on that day, Jesus said, Lord, Lord. Notice it's not once, it's twice. They're literally shocked. What? What? I, I thought for sure. Lord, Lord. And notice what they appeal to. Not, God, I, I, I trusted in Jesus on the cross. I, I, I was, he was the only way to salvation. I, it's his work, not my own. I, I confessed him as Lord. I believe in my heart that God, you raised him from the grave. I'm trusting in his work, not mine, to get me to heaven. That's it. I, God, why? I, it wasn't that what they appealed to. Their own works. And notice what kind of works they were. Religious works. God, didn't we? Come on, man. Let's, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Did you know every single one of those can be counterfeited? That doesn't mean that's happening through God. But Jesus said, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, really belongs to him. And then, in fact, he says, one day they're in for the ultimate rude awakening. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. I'm a Christian. I've been going to Sunrise Bible Church since the flood of Noah. In fact, I was good. I was having potlucks, you know, for the last 4,000 years. I served in this church as a deacon. I was, I've been deacon since deacon was invented. I was, I'm an elder and I eld. Right? I just, nobody elds more than me. Right? I served on the church board. I, taught, I don't care what you did. It ain't by your works. And how many people, I've served on church boards, of people that still thought that you had to be baptized to be saved, which is good. But they said, no, you can't be saved unless you're baptized. That would make it a works. What? I had people that served on church boards, claimed to be a Christian. And then in one of the church board meetings, actually said, you know what? My family comes from a, several generations of witches. And I, I just need to say, get this off my chest. You know, I, I'm just kind of not really happy how Christians, you know, are treating witches. And I'm going, and you're on the church board. I can tell you stories, make your hair curl. I, nobody's got to convince me of this passage. I've experienced it myself behind the pulpit, on church boards, teaching Sunday school classes. I had one lady that came to me in tears who did finally get saved. And she said, Pastor Billy, she said, I just got to confess to you, I only got saved recently, even though I've been going to this church for like 20-some years. She says, in fact, it wasn't until recently. She says, but what's scary to me is that if I were to have died, this church, that particular one, would have given me a Christian uh, funeral, would have said I went to heaven, would have put me up on a pedestal and said they were a model because they were there every time the doors opened. She says, but I would have been in hell. She never knew the difference between head knowledge and surrendering to Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people. Folks, I don't know if you noticed this as we close. 
COVID has exposed a lot of phonies, in my opinion. And the question is today, I'm not here to cast doubt. I'm just quoting Bible. A lot of people give God lip service. Lord, Lord, I go to church services. I go to sunrise. I don't care. Do you really know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? Because are you ready for the rapture? Would you be able to pass the test when hard times, not just COVID, hard times come? Will you stand for Jesus? Like this guy? We'll close in prayer after this. Stop the car! Stop the car! Pull the car over right now! Get out! Your God is the reason I'm doing this. Because I don't believe in your God. And I have never found a Christian who truly believes in their faith. Turn around and get on your knees right now. Shut up! You stay there, be quiet, and do not move! Ready to find out what you're made of? Please. Now I'm going to ask you a very simple question with a very simple answer. Think carefully before responding. You claim to be a Christian. Let's see how important Christ is to you. He took nails on the cross for you. He died for you. You will even die for him. I'm going to ask you this question, and you have 10 seconds to respond. Your answer will determine whether you live or die. Your entire life comes down to this moment. Are you ready to die for your faith? Say the words, I'm ready, and I'll pull the trigger. If not, then I'll let you leave, knowing that what you've devoted your entire life to apparently means nothing. <laughs> so, are you ready to die for your faith? Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. One! I'm not, I'm not ready! I'm not ready! I'm not ready! <laughs> I'm not ready. <laughs> Actions speak louder than words.
rest my case. Go, just go. to die for him, then you'd be willing to tell someone like me about him. But you're not the one. You're not the one. What do you say? Action speaks louder than words. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Yeah, that's all it was, was just lip service. We may not have a gun to our head at this point. I'm firmly convinced we're not going to be around here in the seven-year tribulation. But I don't know when, and I'm not saying we're going to escape out of here when serious persecution hits. I don't know. But we may not have a gun to our head right now, but I do believe in preparation for the rapture to make sure that people are ready. I think God used COVID as one of the first big demarcations to see who's ready and who's not. I'm convinced. I saw it with my own eyes. We saw it as a church. That guy didn't pass the test when a gun was put to his head. Here comes COVID when we're being asked as Christians to violate the scripture that says, don't forsake the assembly of the brethren. And even violate the Constitution of the United States of America that was built on biblical principles. The right to free speech and assemble. And we even had churches in Vegas here that closed their doors before the governor did his mandate. Now, I'm not saying that's the acid test, whether or not you're a Christian or not. I don't know the heart. But what I'm saying is, come on, man, if you can't take a stand for biblical truth against a tyrannical government over a bug issue, that ain't a good sign. And you're either just a very weak, shallow Christian Or maybe you're not a Christian. I don't know. Where's the boldness? Where's the courage? Where's the say, hey, Jesus took the nails from me, man. I'll lay it on the line for him too. What can man do to me? Take my life? Yeah, I'm going to heaven. Where's that courage? Are you ready for the rapture? I didn't say, are you coming to church services at sunrise? I didn't say, are you serving in this? Are you giving in that? I, hey, are you ready for the rest? Are you trusting solely in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Or will you be headed for the rude awakening? 
Make sure you're saved. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Amen? Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even his name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief, I'm a blasphemer, I'm an adulterer, I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step, to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes 
that we've committed against him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven right and we've actually seen this work in real life uh, for instance uh, there's been people who have committed crimes gone to court the gavel's been passed the judges said hey listen we all know you're guilty uh, you even admit you're guilty and uh, for your crimes you're going to not just jail you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty and did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so, even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you could be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth he is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.